let this work. Check, check. Go say hey on that. Hey. Look at God! <laughs> Let's go, boy! All right now. Sean, you can't just do things yourself and then say it's God. <laughs> All I'm saying is I've done the same thing six times, and we saw that where that got us. So I asked the Lord for help, and he heard me in my hour of need. Now the next thing I need him to hear is for you to close that door when it's 15 degrees outside. Check this out, y'all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Read a Book Podcast. I am Sean Little, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cash back One. from sabbatical, sabbatical, rabbatical. Um, I can start freestyling. Now, Cast One, what's been up, man? How you doing? Real good. Yeah? Uh, real busy, man. I started a new job. Mm-hmm. It took me away from the podcast last week. Mm-hmm. Um, you ain't got to tell nobody that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we know. I mean, it, it, you know, full circle. I, what, where I really excelled and, 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 and the business of, of property, where I kind of spread my wings, um, I am back at that property. Yeah. Good on you. Losing that job the first time, just went through, I went through a divorce and, I, you know, everything kind of fell apart, mm-hmm. lost that job. They called me back and said, hey, come back. This place misses you. You said, ah. I said, where the money at? I wait till I get my money right. And then they said, this money. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and do that. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, it's Sunday night. We're recording for uh, the latest episode of the Read a Book podcast, which we're continuing. What I hope you guys are enjoying as much as we are. Uh, the Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip Hop. Uh, we're discussing album two, The Genius of Rap, Creating Hip Hop's First Superstars. Uh, yeah. And the more and more that this book unfolds, it's just like journalism, storytelling, history uh, at its finest. Dan Charnas, you are a goat, man. You Incredible are. Incredible work. Dan Charnas is like, this This is a really good book. <laughs> For sure, man. And there's a section that I want to get into in side B of this, but let's jump into side A. Uh, Disco Inferno. They jump it off and they talk about um, a day called uh, the Disco Demolition Night, which they had at a a baseball stadium. And I actually Googled or YouTubed the video footage uh, of these events. Super wild. So I actually knew about this event um, from that show Drunk History. Uh Do you watch that? Uh, I have. Okay. Well, I I found out about this event from that show, and um, it's a it's a it's a it's a book in and of itself, right? And it's uh, it's it's kind of hilarious, super crazy, and so always on the cusp, really, of this portion of of the chapter or this era <clears throat> of hip hop is like, is rap music going to be uh, the next disco? Because disco kind of 
blared up, uh, you know, shown a, a beautiful light, and then, I don't know, what's that called? That star that burns out, a supernova. Uh, it flashed real bright real quick, and then it sort of burned out. It's the death of a star, baby. And, and there was concern that, or there kind of is concern that that's what rap is going to be, that sure, there's been some initial success, which we discussed the last episode, but like, is this a sustainable thing? Is it a sustainable art? Is it a sustainable culture? Um, and obviously, we get, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty but it's going to be dope to read through uh, the remainder of this book to learn that story. So at the, the point of them telling that story is because after that game, essentially, um, that that leads them to, well, and they, they go to another uh, baseball what? game, not what? the disco night, but then they transition into another baseball game where two guys are chopping it up and they leave that um, Just game. Just dejected because like the disco biz is like slumping yeah 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 and uh where were they're in the bronx yeah maybe <clears throat> they're they're either in the bronx or, or yeah they're in south bronx yeah so that would make sense because like, of Bombay. yeah so they're like oh we're the only uh the white the only two white people yeah. here that we see and uh is it robbins it's like i'm not comfortable mm-hmm. with this i think he might have been white and the other guy was black Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, no, I think you're wrong. They're okay. Bo- they were both white. Okay. Because um, they I felt I feel like they had a dialogue with that word. And then uh, Silverman, yeah, Silverman's definitely definitely white man. That's a that's a that's a Silverman's a Jewish name. Uh-huh. So I mean, there's black Jewish people, but sure, you got it. Silverman is not. So um, one gets invited to the club. Yeah, right? where African Babata is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a whole other thing, but um, Robbins was kind of like, "No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not with it. Like he, he's not feeling it." And this is dope. So Silverman quotes Kurt Vonnegut, and then he mm. says, Pecur- "Peculiar travel suggestions are dancing lessons from God." So my people, Kurt Vonnegut played a role in hip hop because that took Robbins to this discotheque where. African Bombada is DJing. And African Bombada is up there DJing like he's never heard because this dude's playing like the first part of rock songs. Right. As opposed right. to, you know, disco breaks and and all this. He mm-hmm. he's using the breaks on uh what he referred to as white people music. Mm-hmm. And I don't like giving Bombada props from all the allegations that have come out mm. recently about him it has it been recently i wasn't aware you know we were chopping it up pre-production <clears throat> and you mentioned some of these things when did this stuff air out i, I feel like it was maybe to early 2017 huh. may, maybe late 2016 that he was like you know may, uh took advantage of of a of a male child golly yeah that was around so and it's it's been i guess that was talked about a lot mm. And it was kind of known, and now it's uh, out in the air. So I don't wow. mess with that. Yeah, that's crazy. That's ill. It sucks having to give him props for for like a part of hip hop that I like most. So, but what is you know, and and this is sort of a rabbit trail, but it is amazing to me um, how complicated human beings are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That like Bombada is obviously like. A spearhead in much of hip hop culture, in the art form, in the progress of what has become hip hop. 
Uh, and so he does, you know, I mean, can he be worthy uh, of the props that he's due for those things? But at the same time, what? I don't, and again, I'm speaking ignorantly to it because I don't know what are the allegations. Is it legitimate regardless? But can that also be a part of his identity? Yeah. Uh, and one side still, you know, be worth giving praise to, giving props to, or is a baby out with the bathwater? Uh, I mean... You have to give credit where credit's due, I think. I mean, John Lennon wasn't the greatest <laughs> of human beings. Mm. He beat his wives and abandoned his kids, and yet he made Imagine. So it's, you know. Sure. But for me, like, I, I just, it sucks having to give. Right. A, 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 he, made, he made that part of hip-hop, but I wish he didn't. Yeah, sure. That is just something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and we'll get right back to the book as we put a bow on this rabbit trail, but <clears throat> that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, that um, human beings are just incredibly complicated and complex creatures, um, and I think we try to make ourselves feel or seem different than one another yeah. uh, by whatever little, like, you know, subgroup or category or box we put ourselves in. But I think we do that because we're afraid of how similar we are of people who we deem our enemies or people who are unlike us. You know what I'm saying? So if I can just be known as like this box and you can be known as that box, yeah. then we don't ever have to rock with each other or see how much commonality we actually have when we unbox ourselves and see that we're just broken, messed up people. I think that that's true for anybody that doesn't touch kids <laughs> for me you know yeah. I, I don't i don't know I yeah that's gross i yeah, mean <laughs> well, i can't see the human in that <laughs> i mean that is yeah that's trash that's gross that's unacceptable but, don't hear me saying anything otherwise right and again this is kind of the first that i've heard of those allegations um moving on yeah that's a that's a difficult that's a whole podcast in and, in and of itself oh, for sure I'm going to have to look that up. That's that's wild. Yeah. So this Corey Robbins character is really a fascinating guy. Um, and basically they move from that that uh, event, that visit to the discotheque or whatever, where uh, Bombada is performing. <clears throat> and he says, like, oh, this is what... This is what rap is about. Like, this is the culture. This is the art. This is the movement. This is the wave. Like, he experiences it firsthand because he had only caught wind of it from, like, uh, Christmas rapping, you know, Curtis Blow mm -hmm. type stuff and Sugar Hill Gang. Like, that's that was his exposure to rap. And then he went, like, firsthand to that event, and he was like, oh, this is where it's from. And he sees that he's playing 45s instead of, instead of 12 inches, yes. which is important. Like, that is, that's a big thing in the in the DJ world. Huh. Like, uh, they, they, they did a whole tour. I want to say that it was... Uh, Shadow, Cut Chemist, like New Newmark, Newmark, and all mm. them, uh, in tune and on time, where they only used forty fives. Mm. So um, I guess that there were because that's where a lot of rock records were on. Sure, were forty fives. Um, but I thought it was interesting that uh, he's at a discotheque, and then he has like a bunch of uh, rappers to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like rapping on crappy microphones, <laughs> right? While he's spinning, which is like extremely interesting, because <clears throat> the DJ is like the spotlight, yeah, while the sure. rappers are like right. on the on the side stage yeah. rapping in crappy microphones while this dude's putting a show yeah. on. Yeah, and like nowadays, if you catch a rap 
tour or even a rap duo that DJs has like a legitimate DJ component that is very rare. Yeah, absolutely. Like, super rare. Unless it's a I mean hip hop it's rare. Well, I mean you know, some 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 have the totally. DJ like up front, totally. but you know, in other forms of music it's it's like the star attraction like mm-hmm. electronic DJs are um they're like the number one ticket right now. Yeah, super crazy. Yeah. Um, so Corey Robbins, one of the fellas that got invited to uh, that event with Bombada, uh, ends up creating Profile Records uh, in May of 1981 with this other fella, Steve Plotnicki, um, who had sort of an interesting career himself, uh, and he got into songwriting. And, and I thought that this was super dope at the top of 71. Good songwriting, like any other discipline, has a structure that transcends specific styles, interesting lyrics, a compelling refrain, and a catchy uh, melody. And so he was able to see, look, I don't really care what the genre is. Right. Um, so even if there is this concern that rap is going to be the next, next disco, we can take advantage of it because I know how to write songs um, and I can contribute something meaningful to this moment because it's all an equation. And even just being able to like see that, I think that that's one of the things that kind of stuck out to me. And we'll get to a voicemail maybe a little bit later where my guy talks about a similar thing, like big themes, whether mm-hmm. it's how to write a song or where a culture is going. We'll get into uh, Rush uh, and Russell Simmons, his whole yeah. promotions company, but being able to like see a big picture beyond the here and now the visionary aspect of it maybe the entrepreneurial aspect of the business of hip-hop is like very compelling to me me too especially like during that time uh, a lot of people don't realize that that hip-hop was not it wasn't albums it was just uh singles like there were they there was no market for rap albums Mm -hmm. so it was like a it was a crazy world i i underlined uh something that i i think this is incredibly incredibly interesting um after world war ii the pennies from records and radio added up to millions but the rise of rock and roll changed the balance of power in the music industry Mm. performers became their own composers eclipsing freelance songwriters and the song pluggers who pitched their work to artists Mm. music publishers became more like bankers collecting tens of millions of pennies and nickels while record company executives became the new moguls accumulating the largest cut of music Music, uh, music consumers' dollars. Mm. And what page was that? That's on uh, page sixteen sixty nine. Yeah, <laughs> I remember reading that. What what stuck out to you about that? What was interesting about that? Just like the the shift in the world of of yeah. like money making and and music for sure. And just to think like how much those records sell, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like everything seems so like fast mm. then mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like the, me it's like, like they would they would record a song yeah <laughs> and it would be on the radio and then it sold two hundred and fifty thousand copies it's just like in three it seems like you know three days and the and, and that is something fascinating um i want to i want to talk about two things here uh one that the pulse uh, how they how they kept their thumb to the pulse of like New York City, right? So they would record a song and take it to a DJ, 
the DJ would play it, and whether they were able to stay in the studio with them and see the calls that were coming in, or That's if they went they to pressed. like an underground uh, record store and they said, "Hey, we're looking for this record." They said, "In that there was that one story. Oh, I've got 25 requests for that today. I'll I'm, kill, I'm myself. kill myself. <laughs> yeah, super crazy." So whether they found out from the studio or from the record store, once they had a pulse on it, they were like, "Okay, let's push this." That is like. That's amazing to me. So, but the other thing that I want to talk about is how how the the music industry obviously has continued to change over time. And right. I think there was a contrast for me as I read this and I thought about this because how much of a staple to the music business the songwriter was, right? Right. Like, they were not musicians. They weren't trying to be musicians. They wrote songs. That's all that they did. And that seems, like, after World War II, uh, and I'm not sure what the exact reason is, but that changed. Right. Uh, I think that Ego played probably a big role in that. I don't need this dude writing my song. Yeah. Huh. Well, that, you, you know, the culture changed sure. after World War II. Yeah. Um, so, like, the deconstruction of the industry, uh, as it were. And they said, no, I, I can write my own bars. And then what, what, that, what that made me think of, sort of in contrast to music now, um, is, like, it's, it's, you know, in the rap that we came up in, there's a lot of pride in yeah, yeah. writing your own bars, <laughs> writing your yeah. own music. It's a sin not to. Yeah, but like it is not uncommon. Drake doesn't write a large share of his music. That's hearsay. <laughs> I mean, I think I mean you know even if you just with, look with at the pop credits, songs, the credits of the songwriters yeah. on the music, and I'm not mad at that. I'm, I'm not taking I'm just joking about the hear- yeah, yeah. hearsay. I'm a Drake fanboy. Much to my fans' dismay. Yeah, but it is you know. So 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 I guess the deconstruction of the songwriter, and then an evolution of musicians being their own songwriters. So the deconstruction of the songwriter, and <laughs> and then in time uh, the reconstruction of the songwriter. It's just kind of a, a crazy contrast. I agree. Yeah. Something funny happened just now. Dude. We'll leave that to the side. Yeah. Uh, and this is a great moment for us to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. This episode of the Read a Book podcast is brought to you by Eastlick Coffee, a coffee roasting company serving specialty coffees that are unique yet familiar, complex and comforting, featuring diverse origins that are delicious and approachable. Use the code FORTH, that's F-O-R-T-H, to get 40% off your first bag of coffee at eastlickcoffee.com. East, L-I-C-K, coffee.com. That's what the song was called? What, what, that's also a crazy point where like they knew that these disco records were going to be big. So then it was like a race to see which rapper was going to do a song to yeah. that big song first. Yeah, and like bootleg it first. Whack. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you say that? I mean, not not whack, but you know what I mean? It's just like, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like a different era, man. Like, rap was not standing on its own two feet mm. yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, they had to make a segue into the market, and if that meant 
a Christmas wrap, then we're going to give them a Christmas wrap. Right. And if the buzzing song was a disco song, and I can find a break in it or whatever and recreate the beat and rap over it, and we can sell a couple hundred thousand copies of that. Yeah, man. So, Corey Robbins and Steve Plotnicki, uh, they create Profile Records, and we've danced around this thus far, uh, but they do that in May of 1981, and they each borrow $17,000 from their parents. Whose parents has $17,000 to let them borrow today? <laughs> I'm saying, it's 2018, I can't call my boss right now. <laughs> Golly. So look, let me not front. My mother did recently bar- let me borrow some money. I'm not even gonna front. Word? It wasn't no seventeen thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, but she put your boy on. All right. I appreciate that, mom. I wonder if my mom listens to my podcast. So Robbins and Plotnicki uh, create Profile Records. They borrow cash from their parents, and there's basically a flop, and then another flop record that they put a bunch of money into, and they Let's just didn't work out. Pause there. Okay. Like. How terrifying is that? You yep. bo- you borrow this money for a gamble, man. Man, I like back at my job that I'm at now. Mm-hmm. I'm messing with other people's money that I don't have to pay back, right? And I'm terrified every day huh. that I'm messing that huh. stuff up. Yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I, and when you see your successes, that's a whole other story. Yeah, but when sure. then when you're throwing your cards out there right. and it's just like bombing yeah each time yeah yeah i bet these dudes are like man puking but there is something about that like and i don't want to confine it just to this like term that we've talked about that is present in this book that's like a trendy topic nowadays this entrepreneurship thing it's like to me it's so corny how many people are riding that like wave it's oh god okay everybody's a business so i'm not trying to just let like confine that idea to entrepreneurship but like i'm reading i i I always reread uh ralph Waldo emerson's self-reliance a couple times a year Mm -hmm. and like this idea of owning your life and owning your decisions and like doing something and even if you fail like doing something again pressing on and continuing uh, it is an infectious and a timeless idea that, like, I wish I and more people had the courage to, like, borrow money, believe in my idea enough to borrow money from someone, believe in my idea enough to put something out, yeah, watch yeah. it fail, and put more money into my next idea, watch it fail, I don't. and then be down to $2,000 and be like, well, we can either pay our rent or we can try this idea one more time. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't take salaries this whole time. Like, that is incredible to me. To me, that is living. And a lot of people say, oh, that's foolish. That's ignorant. That is so dope, dude. No, it's not to me. (laughs) No, I I mean, I'm saying that, like, you and I, in that regard, are are complete opposites. What do you mean? Like, I know that you, like, all right, I don't like to borrow money for nothing. Sure. Um... And I especially wouldn't borrow somebody else's money for one of my dreams. Mm. Like if I'm, you know, hurting, for, like I need a house payment mm-hmm. or something like sure. that, I want to borrow money. Sure. But if I'm like, hey, man, I got this song that I think could be really good. <laughs> and I believe, man, and trust me, like nobody believes in my rap music more than me. Huh. 
but I would never borrow someone else's money to put it out. Why not? Because, I mean, it, be, it becomes a bigger failure if that happens. Mm. I'm, I'm just not equipped with that kind of ego where I can uh, I can let that. That that and, um, you know, it's letting somebody down twice. Sure. Not paying them back. Yeah. And then, you know, they're like, you needed my money for that. Right. Yeah, I get that. Um and so, you know, and that's why I don't. I, that's why I hate Kickstarter. <laughs> huh? I hate Kickstarter. Yeah. Have you? Con- do you contribute to Kickstarters? No. Never. I I contribute to like Maybe if a couple it, few. If it's like a video game, huh? I don't contribute to people's rap albums on yeah. Kickstarter. Is there a lot of that rap album Kickstarters? There used to be. I don't know that. I don't. I don't really see that many Kickstarters anymore. Mm. I'll kickstart somebody if they. It's more GoFundMe. Like medical bills and stuff like that, Golly. or if their kids are in trouble. But Damn. I don't believe in nobody else's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's not like a quotable, I don't know what it is, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so Profile Records down to their last two thousand um, dollars, and they're able to basically jump on the wave. Uh, of a disco song called Genius of Love. Um, and they come up with a song called Genius Rap. And Genius Rap... I never even heard of these dudes. I never heard of uh, Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde. Sure. In the in the rap world. I'd heard maybe just of the names from reading that I've done. But I mean, yeah, yeah definitely. I don't even... I, I feel like they have not even come up in any reading I've done. Huh. But I could be wrong. I mean, I don't... I don't even know that song, that Genius of Love song. Sure. But I, I, isn't it weird that, that um, they were kind of like racing to do the Genius of Love song um, again yeah. because they knew that somebody else was, was going to take that beat? It just reminds me of like the mixtape era. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, So there's a disco song that comes out and we need to rush to get a rap reinvention of that disco song while it's popular just so we can cash in on it. Um and, you know, we read a little bit later on that uh, Sugar Hill, uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious. Yeah, yeah. Is that what it was? Furious 5, yeah. Uh, they also did a rendition of that song. That didn't sell as well yeah. as Genius Rap. Even though, even though they had Sugar Hill Records, which was a much larger platform, and they had bigger names, it was just like it wasn't popping. They missed the moment. Um, but that does remind me of maybe, you know, an early 2000s sort of mixtape era of rap music. Interesting that you say that mm-hmm. because... Um, Danger, Danger Mouse. Yeah. Um, you, yes. You remember when um, when Jay Z released yes. the the Black Album and the White Album, bro? For sure. Yeah. It was well, no, it wasn't the White Album. It, it was that's what he remixed it to. Oh, but he did the, he re, uh, took the no, it was Black Album, the, the acapellas White from album, yeah, and it was called the Gray Album. And it? he said the whole time that he was making that, he was terrified. Like he he released that. I want to say within a week. You are kidding. No, no. Because he said the whole time that he was making it, that he was terrified that someone else was making the same thing that he was making. Wow. And that's what blew him up. Yeah. That's the first time I heard of him. I mean, that album was all... I I mean, this is hyperbole, but it it was almost as successful as a black album. Dude, we, me and my man Jay, we lived together. That was probably, what, 2005 maybe? Was it? Too, I want to. Yeah, maybe. I don't. It, five, dates. Six. Dates escape me. Four, five, six. I think it was two thousand and five. 
Um, maybe 2006 is the latest. I want to feel I like it's 2003. Lived. I'm Googling it right yeah, now. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like that was... Well, maybe I, I caught it later on. I remember the first time I heard it. I remember the bedroom that I lived in uh, in Clifton on Wheeler Street in an apartment with my dude J-Rob. Uh, and that had to be 2005 when I heard it. That doesn't mean that's when he released it. But super, I mean, super, super dope compilation. And I've basically tracked with danger mouse ever since then february 2004 okay yeah yeah so i probably didn't hear it maybe for another six months wow um you, you must have not been in hip-hop like me maybe that's not true maybe i was down there no way man i didn't hear it till five yeah um but i've tracked with him <clears throat> since danger mouse he's dope man. super dope yeah i've loved to see him work with all kinds of you know different artists he's i will always check a project if he's involved with it I don't. I don't feel like there's any whack Danger Mouse project. Man. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, uh, we're still in <laughs> side A um, in the Genius of Rap album two. Oh, Chet! Wait, wait, wait. So I had. So when they when they brought out their Genius Rap, uh-huh. uh huh. It was dope to me, like, how they heard it on the radio mm. for the first time. Like, they never expected that to happen. Right. The dude was, like, driving, and he had to pull over to the side of the yes. road and just catch his breath. While yes. the other dude's just, like, stocking medical equipment in the back and right. hears the song. And is right. like, wow. Right. Um, but also, those dudes got a record deal for two thousand dollars man they took the record deal and 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 bypassed the royalties God for an man. advance of two thousand dollars can you imagine i mean i don't that's not even big money back then for sure but like what is the point of reference that's two grand bro and they were like proud of, of that two grand look here's the bottom line most people in life will never make $2,000 off of their own work or their own ideas. They signed their publishing over to Profile and walked off with the first cash they had ever made from the record business. Man. And that is the story of so many rappers. Dude. They don't read the deal. They just sign it and walk away. But let's talk about that for a second. What Kind of going back to what I said. When someone is willing to pay you for your work, your ideas, yeah. your own independent thought. Obviously, there's an opportunity for you to be taken advantage of as an artist by someone who is a business person. But how incredible that somebody wants to pay, oh, you, to pay you for it. For your thing, for your idea, for <clears throat> what you created. Yeah, I mean, that is an incredible feeling, but you know, it, it, when it's when it's two thousand dollars and they're making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars off of you. Yeah, I mean it's grimy. I'm not trying to knock that, but you know. And then they talked about one of the dudes going home and giving his mom some cash, and she, and thought, she thought that he was, he was dealing drug. dope. You yeah, know what I'm saying yeah. like, what other options did he have to make a large oh, yeah. lump sum of cash? Even though two thousand dollars, in contrast to hundreds of thousands, is you know a drop in the bucket. Yeah. That was two. I mean, yeah, I know. Lot, I mean, I, I I get it, and especially if you're in like in the ghetto, and, oh, and you get offered this this grip of cash. For sure. I wonder what that is, that that equates to in inflation. Yeah. I bet you didn't think that you'd be hearing a rap podcast 
saying equates to an inflation. <laughs> <laughs> We're behind the scenes too, baby. Uh, there's one more part that I want to talk about from side A. Planet uh, Rock? Are you going to talk about Planet Rock? What page was that on? You're welcome to talk about that. It's I page want... 79. It's ta- it's, it talks about when Bombada is like blowing up off of Planet Rock. Yeah. Planet Rock's like a really important hip hop record. For sure. I mean, that's when it, it's a whole different style from like the. Not, I mean, from the disco the corny type. That disco type, yeah. Records. Where it's still, you know, Bombada is kind of removed from wearing cowboy jackets with tassels on them but mm-hmm. he still got his character you yeah. know um and you know all the reading that i've done on babata and it mentions this in here as well he was like incredibly knowledgeable uh he was a connoisseur of music absolutely genres country sources origins so what you get in a planet rock is obviously very funky i mean weird you know what I'm saying? Like, not one genre, multi-genre, whatever. Uh, but it was very much an expression of who he was, uh, his musical taste, and his ability. Um, and it definitely, and I think they make mention of this, but it took rap to another level. It For took sure. rap to a different uh, it place. It absolutely did. Not confined just yeah. to disco, disco. rap, Because he, he was doing it with, like, rock records. And he, he said that he would, uh, he's like... I want to make these black kids dance harder um, to yeah. music made by white boys. <laughs> white boys, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he just took it and he flipped it and made yeah. it a whole different thing. Totally. Which is, you know, that's that's hip hop. Yeah, for sure. But w- to get you to your point, just wanted to give him shine. Yes. Yeah, and that is we got to talk about Frankie Frankie Crocker as well. Did you, are you trying to to go to side side B? Uh, let me say one thing just as we wrap up. Uh, side A. And again, there is so much in all of these albums, and I'll always say this on every read a book podcast episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. We're not going to cover everything. Call and leave us a voicemail at 470-722-0782 or holler at us uh, on social media. You'll find me at I am Sean Little. Cast One, where they find you? You'll find me at Cast One One on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Holler at us with your thoughts, with your questions, with your suggestions. Leave a voicemail, all this, all that. Uh, As we push to wrap up side A before we get into side B of the genius of rap on album two, I just want to sort of highlight um, and profile two two things. Um, The Jungle, Mm -hmm. that song, The the Message, uh, and then um, Russell Simmons. One, I guess the idea is that I love uh, an early, uh, a young Russell Simmons that one thinks that this sort of uh, disco and even planet rock rap music is not what rap is supposed to be. He's like, rap needs to be hard. It needs to sound hard. It needs to sound and look like where it comes from. Absolutely. I love that. I do too. That's where like Run DMC comes in. Totally. And then, you know, they're not wearing neon cowboy suits. But again, like the the vision uh, of a Russell Simmons to be able to see that, to think that, to Artist own his own thought. You know what I'm saying? To say f- like, this is not what it is. This stuff is not what rap is supposed to be. He, he was the first one in hip hop. To go into hip hop and have artist development. Man, 
brilliant guy. <clears throat> it's also funny that Run DMC, they did not want to be called Run DMC. Super funny. Wait, <laughs> that's side B. Last thing I want to say um, is about the song The Message. Uh, and, and and some of y'all will recognize this, this little chorus from the song. Don't push me because mm-hmm. I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like I wanted some time to make. Okay. So anyway, the point in saying all of that, and this is the last moment that I want to give shine uh, from Side A before we move to Side B. Please read this book because there's so much in here that oh, we're not talking so about. So much. Uh, but Charnis says that uh, the message did more, not for numbers, but did more for hip-hop, for rap music, than Planet Rock did because it took rap from a party to, to the street. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That, and that's true. And so rap music isn't just dancing and having a good time, which like we talked about last episode, is so incredible that you could take people from such uh, atrocious environments and circumstances and give them a party and a place to express themselves and dance and be nonviolent and be productive. But at the same time, there was like a beckoning back to, look, we got to deal with reality. <laughs> Mm. Uh, and the message was the first uh, song of its type to take rap to a different place, away from the party, back to the street. Absolutely. So important. This episode of the Read a Book podcast is brought to you in part by River City Mercantile and Coffee Co., located at 223 Main Street in downtown Evansville, Indiana. River City provides a place for over 50 makers to showcase their high-quality, handmade goods and is home to an exceptional coffee and espresso bar. Get 20% off any gift card purchase when you use the code READABOOK in-store or at rivercityevv.com. Shop local, drink coffee, River City. Cast one as we move on to side B as we discuss album two, Genius of Rap from The Big Payback, The History of the Business of Hip Hop. What like one of my favorite parts of this whole whole book is like the the beef between Mayo and uh, Crocker mm. because I feel like that's like one of the first hip hop beefs, yeah, the first DJ beef. Yeah, where it started with radio DJs, uh-huh. not even in the rap world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like Mayo is a, a fan of Crocker. Crocker's like the big dude in town. For sure, the, the man. D- out the here, man. Dude. So like goes up to Crocker and is like, "Hey, like let's do lunch sometime. I got I'm I'm the new guy in town for this radio station. I want to soak up game from you. Yeah. I've been tracking with you. You're amazing. Can I like please get game from you?" Yo, Crocker blows his cigarette smoke in this dude's face. He said, "You want to talk to me?" He said, and "You want to all the smoke in his grill, bro." So Mayo's like, "All right." And is immediately dejected by this. Yeah. And I think that everybody had, like anybody that's in this business, mm. has that moment where they meet somebody that they look up to, mm. and that dude is a buster to them. The worst. And they're like, okay, I'll show them one right. day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, Mayo has this big show lined up. He gets everything, and who's there? He gets like the first corporate sponsor of a rap gig. Exactly. He gets a huge budget from his much smaller radio station to put this on. He gets a break, like a godsend of an interview, right? Because the one R&B act was like, man, F. Crocker, he's a jerk. He undersells. He overpromises. He never comes through. So he gets this big moment, and then he capitalizes on that moment with booking an arena show. 
Exactly. And who's at that arena show? Dude. Dude pulls his Cadillac, his green Cadillac, to the back of the garden. Like, how do you... stadium. How How does that happen? And then Crocker walks out and introduces Rick James. Dude. In front of 19,000, yeah. 19,500 yeah. people. Took all his took shine. all his shine. Like, he put it on. And then... And he had enough pull. This is the thing, had though. Enough like, he, he had, had the enough pull. He had enough pull and rank and clout, like, or clout or whatever to be able to, like, do that. So, Crocker looks over to Mayo, what? and he mouths the words, I am going to get you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's first rap beef. Dude. <laughs> That's dope. So crazy. And I'm rooting for Mayo. I don't know who you, who are you rooting for. Underdog, Sean? bro. I mean, obviously, Crocker's the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Y'all call in. Let us know who you root for. But like... Like this comment and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> but you got you to gotta rock with the underdog. Uh, okay, so side B, uh, Kings from Queens. Uh, this is sort of the introduction, not only of Run DMC, uh, but the mind, the business, the the hustle of Russell Simmons uh, that is behind, you know, the Kings uh, from Queens. Any any big thoughts maybe from Side B um, that stick out to you? There's a lot, and um, I I want to kind of hit on them. As we go along, because there's one really funny part to me Mm -hmm. about Spike Jones. You know what I'm talking about? Spike Lee? Spike Lee. God bless. (laughs) It's okay. We'll get there. Um, So, again, what we were saying at the end of side A is that Russell Simmons had a vision for rap that was different than what was popular and that was different than everything that made rap bubble and become sort of what it was at the moment that 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 rush uh you know had this vision and it was that rap uh needed to be hard uh and tough and simple uh but maybe even more than that that rap needed to be its own thing it was more drums than it was uh, yeah melodies melodies totally and so at the top of page uh 94 um Russell's brother and friend were shouting over a beat, monotonous and metallic. And so that was like Rush's, that was his thought about what rap music was supposed to be. Right. It's not supposed to be some like rendition of a disco song. It's not supposed to be some cornball rap record, even it's though DMC does have a really dope Christmas song. They do. Uh, but it's just a different sound. It's a different direction. It's a different appeal. Um, and I think that, that is all completely in the mind of Russell Simmons. And they also were R-U-N-D-E yeah. dash MC. Yeah, Rundy. Rundy MC. So they, but they did not want to be called Rundy MC. Yeah, please they don't begged, call us that. They begged please not to be called that. Which is funny because if you know any rapper, you know, five years after they, they, Golly, they make that. their name, they do not want to be called that name anymore, but they can't change it. Locked I, in, bro. I wish I wasn't Cast One. Really? Yeah. What do you wish? You, would you want to have a rap name? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, the, I think about it now, and I, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what a what a would be. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, but it, you know, it's super interesting there at the top of page 94. Um, and even that whole that whole section before uh, the the bold section there, just before profile release run DMC single, what you have is Russell Simmons sort of negotiating the terms of what will become Run DMC, and he's just big picture. Yeah. It's like, oh, you don't want it called Run DMC? That's fine by me. I'd be called JK53. (laughs) You heard? (laughs) JK. JK. But I think it's dope that uh, Russell Simmons, again, has the big vision of wanting to get a certain sound out, wanting to define uh, rap to be its own thing. He has a vision for the sound. He has a vision for the look. Um, the and first... he doesn't really care about the details. I don't care I don't care how you spell their name. That That's fine. That doesn't matter to me. Which is weird to think about because like Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. uh, Trent Reznor, he, th- th- he called Nine Inch Nails Nine Inch Nails just because of aesthetic purpose. He huh. thought that it looked cool. Huh. And it's it's interesting, like, all the different angles that you yeah. can take um, for it. I, and Run DMC is, like, I so think iconic now. It's so... Uh, and, you know, in the year 2018, aesthetic is 90% of music. God, Maybe dude. 95%. Too much, bro. Maybe 99%. You know what? This is interesting. Like... Uh, my wife, Erin, for those of y'all who don't know uh, her name, I thought it was hilarious this week I saw, and I don't know if you've seen this, you know uh, Jaden Smith? Yeah. Have you seen that song he has called Icon? Uh, no. Okay, so he re- uh, released a song called Icon, and the video, he's like in a car with like Lamborghini doors, and he's got golds on, and... He's dancing and he's rapping his tail off and like he's doing it. Okay. I think you know I've heard Jaden Smith sure. songs and I think that that dude catches a lot more hate than he deserves just because he's like a Will Smith son. Yeah, totally. So that song got 100 million plays on Spotify. Yeah, and so Will Smith. His dad, this is love, dude. This Did he is clown dope. him? He clowned him. He, like, created a video where he mimicked. He was sitting in his car like Jaden was sitting in his car, sideways, talking on his phone, looking at the camera crazy. He had golds in. He got out of his car. He was like, I'm just an icon living. Started record label Misfits, just did it. And then he was, like, acting like he was dancing and stuff in his house shoes. He, like, busted his house shoes off. And then he, like, was rapping in the camera, and his golds fell out. So he was just, like, clowning on his son. But then he said, you know, props, 100 million spins, super awesome. So I showed Aaron the video so that she could understand Will Smith clowning on him. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, dad loving him. You know what I'm saying? That was awesome to me. And she just said something like, why doesn't anyone make real art anymore? And I thought that was such an interesting, like, observation for her to say that of, you know, Jaden Smith's, is what he's doing real? Is it all just appeal? Well, here's the thing, man. We're old now. And I think that, you know, when my, I don't know how your dad felt about rap music, but my dad, yeah, I mean, I can only imagine because we we're listening to you know uh, two live crew while (laughs) while our parents listened to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and that kind of stuff was on the radio so I get it it's like I try not to be um, so 
I I I try not to hate everything new because I yeah. realize that you know that's the kids doing their thing. We're yeah. old and we still can do our thing. Sure. Um, and I think that anything is aesthetic anymore. Mm. I think that that goes along with like TV, radio, everything like that. What's whack to me, and this is the legitimately the only part of that that's whack is that it's so copy and pasted totally it's like everyone has totally. their own aesthetic because you can see or, what's uh, trending not not their own no one has their own aesthetic yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that one one dude comes out and they have like fucking vampire fangs right and then the next you know 50 rappers that blow up after totally. that have totally. vampire fangs totally. and they're using like an instagram filter that totally. makes it look like they're filming on vhs yeah and it's boring yeah totally but and, and I don't know, and I want to be fair, and then I think we're at an awesome way to segue back into this. Uh, so let me not lose my place, but I think with the advent of the internet and social media, it's just amplified the immediacy of everything. Absolutely. So the same thing was happening back in whatever day. It just took longer. Yeah. So That's if the I same can thing see, with news. You know, if I can see what trend is on whether it's by scrolling Instagram or clicking the hashtag on Twitter or whatever, and I got a video shoot that day, and I can get more views from X item being yeah. in the imagery, and that's another really interesting part because they get into, in, in side B of uh, album two, uh, MTV. They get into that whole layer of what becomes the, the, the rap music record industry uh, deal, um, and MTV is hugely influential. Yeah. But prior to the visual aspect, all that there was, was in the general was the audio. Obviously, you could catch a show and you could see these people. You'd see them in the park, whatever. But as rap music went nationwide and they talked about that outside of New York, people, listeners didn't even know the DJ mattered. Yeah. I don't yeah. get that because I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I didn't. So that is a fascinating thing just about time and... And and most you know most musicians use paintings for their album covers, mm -hmm. and it, it, not to say that that the look of it didn't play like an important role. Sure. Um, once you once you open an album cover and you can see these people, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the first impression that you got from music, and now sure. it's the very first impression yeah. that you get from music. And so it's crazy just to you know always to kind of understand that like any person throughout history lives in an era and there are social and cultural dynamics to any era so like how big mtv was to us coming up yeah or bet like that doesn't exist anymore bro <laughs> like yeah that's that ghost that's gone and so uh, for whatever's good about that and whatever's bad about that, and like last episode or two episodes ago, we talked about music releasing on Tuesdays and how Tuesdays were sacred and you had to wait for yeah. it and all that. Like, that is gone. And what is present now is the immediacy of the internet. Absolutely. Uh, and good, bad, indifferent, whatever. It's a different era now. Right. And it's hard for us to understand the intricacies of that era. But when kids that are coming up in it now are our age, it's going to be completely different. I know again. kids that like have that will shoot video on their on their cell phone and release it the next day. Is that but like my nephew, my nephew is, I think he just turned sixteen, mm. and he's like really good at video. 
Can you imagine being really good at video when you were 15 or 16 years old? You didn't even have the tools for it. Dude, he's, he like edits it. dope videos and I'm like, man. It's like, awesome. And, and puts them out and then gets like 6,000 likes on Instagram. Like you get more likes than me. <laughs> <laughs> the collaboration coming soon yeah. between Cats One and Bishop. his nephew. Um, and so what I wanted to say through all of that to pull us back into the text, page 97 – there's this fellow named uh, Tony Quarterone, and there in the first paragraph on 97, he understood that rap music's biggest problem was not the music, which was universal in its appeal, but the image of rap held by so many people. To older, upscale black listeners, rap was ghetto music. To some white people, rap was disco, but when it came to the songs themselves everybody danced and so that came to my mind when you were talking about you said i don't know how your dad thought about rap music but i think in the mind of let me just say for white people because those are my people so i can speak for them it's all racialized man oh what without a doubt thing is yeah uh and so the problem with rap music you, you, unfortunately, and, and this is how all people are with any prejudice or whatever that they have, predisposition they have, you can't even deal with the object because you're blinded by your outlook. You Absolute, absolutely. Like, you're blinded by your racism, good, bad, or indifferent. And, the, and it it talks a lot about the racism that, that they were faced with. For sure. And that's like Electric Union wouldn't did not want to work a show because right. because of it. Which and is I crazy. have ends up in Radio City Music Hall. Can you believe it? In the mid eighties. I read that and I was kind of like In nineteen eighty two? Like oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Dave Chappelle, yeah. Oh. Uh and like, obviously, it I mean, is not 1940. It is man. 1982, and and yeah, that's. And so that that component, uh, you know, even just knowing that that early on, what uh, Tony Quarterone came to understand as he did research and tried to understand how to uh, develop and, and better equip uh, rappers and a rap music business uh, that people perceived rap in a certain way and it wasn't because of the music but it was because of the racial dynamics it was it was it was ghetto black people perceived it as ghetto white people perceived it as disco which just means black uh so there's always the perception the racialized components which is like Did disco mean black i think so i don't know when i think disco i think bgs yeah maybe i'm you know Maybe I, it's because I'm whitewashed. Sure, and I just think that, like you know, there at the middle of page ninety-seven, um, to older upscale black listeners, rap was ghetto music. To white people, rap was disco. I just think that the racialized component of it is like that's the big thing that sticks no doubt. out to me, without a doubt. And to even understand that, like early on, they were Do like, oh, think- everybody, everybody enjoys the music. The, the songs are jamming, but do we you just th- can't get around the, ra- the race component of it. Do you think that that played a role in why um, they feverishly started to hate disco? Like it was like rock against disco and it was more of like a white power oh, thing? That's a great question. I wonder. Or I because wonder- I know that um, at the Run DMC shows, at the MTV show, there were like white dudes like 
kind of like talking shit. Yeah, ran up and down the aisles yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, sitting, booing them and all that. And I think that that, I mean, definitely <laughs> was, you know, punk rock and rock was on, on MTV. Yeah. That and like the the weird the weird 80s era music um and so you know to pull us back into as we proceed here in the development of run dmc um i do think it's worth noting uh, the first paragraph on page 99 and just to think about these numbers are so bonkers as run dmc makes a huge transition sonically in the sound of what rap music sounds like how it looks its appeal um, from something like uh, Bombada's Planet Rock into uh, the first 12-inch uh, put out by Run DMC, uh, which is It's Like That on one side and Sucker MCs on the other side. 250,000 copies sold. And that's when they knew to make an entire hip-hop yeah, record. It was on a podcast. I didn't know that Run DMC... Well, they weren't the first. They were the first successful hip-hop record is that correct no no no. i think they had all pushed singles or a few kind of couple a few singles here and there maybe successful is good but they would kind of throw together sort of a yeah trash just like album filler just to filler, repackage the single and make like a more expensive yeah, rap single totally yeah but yeah they sort of treated the album like something that wasn't garbage because even Russell Simmons said rap albums are trash. Yeah. And I don't want to make a trash rap album. I want to put together something that is But when they got four songs that are that are just like crushing it. Yeah. I was like, okay, maybe. Yeah, four so, songs on the top eight. To jump back to your Jaden Smith. Yeah. How many views did that I mean I'm sure it has more now, but a hundred million spins just on Spotify. Is that real though? I mean, I don't know. Do you feel like that? I've never listened. I've never used Spotify. Aaron subscribes to it. She just told me that. She said, I pay, you know, $10 a month for Spotify or whatever. I don't know anything about Spotify. I love Spotify. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to love Spotify because Mm -hmm. I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. I love Spotify. I think it's wonderful. What's the dichotomy there? Why are you not supposed to like it? Because you don't make money off it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about this fractions of a penny but at the same time you you make money on the back end i've made good money from spotify huh and i and it lets you know where to push out your product too because there's demographics demographics to it and all that stuff is amazing it's it is easier than ever Hmm. um you just yeah you just can't be lazy with it and i'm real lazy and so why do you ask (laughs) if that's real I just, I, it just doesn't. A hundred million, it, and and how and how long did it take? I mean, I'm, I don't, know, six months. Okay, I yeah. mean, six sure months is different. Yeah, I thought you, were, we were like at a, you no, know, I, I thought he was just like a week. No, okay, no, no. I just, I, that, just all those numbers. I'm just kind of like, God, ah, that's bullshit. Yeah. Anymore. I get that. You can pay. You can pay. But Spotify, it's kind of hard to fake numbers on. Hmm. YouTube is super easy to fake numbers on. Facebook easy to fake numbers on. Twitter easy to fake numbers on. Spotify is like it's a hard one. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. A hundred million views though, bro. Just on Spotify, hundred million spins. It's aesthetic. Just on that one platform. I'm not saying that that Jaden is not 
good at yeah. what he does. He was but capping, bro. He was. He was I'm saying his though. Tail I mean, off, it, he, does does Kendrick Lamar get a hundred mi- million? Totally. Does he? Okay. Oh no, I don't know. But yeah, I, I dig I'm just what saying, you're saying like why? And Kendrick Lamar is like wildly more popular than Jaden Smith. Yeah, sure. So why would Jaden Smith get a hundred million? There's so many components. to Yeah. That. Yeah, this is the the artist of me going. Why? Why not me? I mean, you know, Jaden Smith is young. He's obviously Will Smith's kid. He's been in films. He has a huge other following other than music. Rap is cool. Rap is trendy. Yeah. So if you take a bunch of Disney kids and now one of the characters no doubt. is rapping, yeah, they're I mean eat that stuff up. You know what I'm saying? It's there's a lot of layers to it. I get it. Kinda. Um, I don't. I don't get why people care about Khloe Kardashian's baby either. So. Yeah. Maybe I'm not the right person to talk about numbers. We live in a weird world, bro. I'll tell you something. Today, Aaron and I, we didn't look at social media all day long. Yeah. And, you know, is that a feat nowadays? It kind of feels like it is. Yeah. We consciously decided at the beginning of the day we're not going to look at social media. We're not really going to mess with our phones. We're going to enjoy a day with our daughter, which is why I didn't get your text until late because we just left our phones out. And I, you know, because Aaron and I talk about going off of social media all the time. I think it's toxic, bro. I think it's bad for society. I think it's bad for me. Obviously, there's all kind of opportunities wrapped up in it, right? Because it's the platform that everybody's on. And how would I promote Read a Book Podcast if I weren't there? Nobody's going to track with me if I don't always jump up in their life. Absolutely. But I think it's toxic, man. Anyway, so I told Aaron at the beginning of the day, because we talk about this stuff all the time. I said, hey, let's not be on social media today. And... I bet we will feel better about our lives at the end of the day. So we had a great day. We enjoyed ourselves. We kicked it with our daughter. We had conversation with each other. We worked on some stuff. I read. She worked on an article. Like when Ember was napping, it was all good. You know what I'm saying? And when I was driving over here, I texted her. I said, Did, didn't we have a great day? And she was like, yeah. I was like, I really wonder how much social media being off of it had to do with that, both one, in the literal physical practice of not getting on our devices, but then two, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, just being able to live our life and not think about anybody else's life. You know what I'm saying? Today was a good day. No doubt. This week, uh, with the new job and all, Mm -hmm. I haven't really had a chance to get Mm -hmm. on social media. Mm -hmm. So the the only time that I have, I, I... genuinely made it a point that i would um because sometimes i just scroll through my my facebook feed to find things that i don't like sure and i made because i like to make fun of people yeah yeah um but i think you're, that's everybody yeah <laughs> that's yeah a huge player in it so i've made it a point to be like no the only thing that i'm going to say is like good stuff huh. or i'm going to message someone to congratulate them on the good things that are happening huh. in their life or to show my support of them. Sure. And that, it, that that's wildly changed, yeah. you know, my, my days. Yeah. I don't, because, you know, I'm, I feel like a crotchety old mean man sometimes. Yeah, totally, man. And, uh, I haven't felt like that this week. I felt very, very motivated. Yeah. So, it's awesome. So, in the middle of 108, and then I'll jump over to the middle of 109, uh, uh, to bring us back to your point about rap albums being just thrown together, kind of blah uh, pieces of work, just to resell singles. Um, there, maybe the third or fourth paragraph. Unfortunately, Russell Simmons agreed that rap albums were pieces of shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is just like a crazy thought to think that Russell Simmons thought that about rap albums before he put one together. Because he Run had DMC. nothing to go off of. Right. There wasn't a blueprint out for a rap album. <laughs> what? This is so wild. And so there, you know, you moved. I wish that you all could. I hope that you all feel like how excited you, when you yeah, get yeah, realizations yeah. like that, you're just like, what? There wasn't a rap album, bro. And so for us, like, all the classic rap albums that have come out, because maybe because Russell Simmons said, look, this stuff is Let's trash. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do something right. And so in the middle of 109, uh, Simmons' partner, Corey Robinson, uh, was still the kid who compulsively listened to the radio and tabulated hits. But when he turned to WRKS's Top 8 at 8 during the summer of 1984, this is incredible. Robbins experienced the life-fulfilling vindication. Four of the eight songs were his records, and, and all, all four were from Run DMC's first album. So, do- and, and Corey Robbins is dope, too. For sure. I, I like Corey Robbins. Yeah, he's but, dope in this book. Yeah. Run DMC. Think about that, man. Four of the eight. Yeah. Top eight at eight. One was like a DJ, like like where Jazzy. Uh, Jam Master said, J, you got it. I almost said Jazzy Jeff. Yeah. Uh, but Jam Master J. Just did his thing. Just did his thing. And it's it's like an interlude. If if It would be like the modern day equivalent to an interlude. But this is a song that's on the radio and people are freaking out about it, which is tight. Yeah. I I got a I got a confession that like Run DMC is kind of before my time. Mm-hmm. I've always like really appreciated them as artists, but I don't know about them like how like they were popping when we my were born. Hero. Right, right. I mean, so I don't appreciate them how my heroes appreciate them. Sure. Um, but I absolutely appreciate them. Sure. And reading this stuff, it makes you appreciate them ten times more. No doubt. Um, and especially Russell Simmons. Like, Russell Simmons is a hustler, Dude. man. Like, he is a go-getter. I admire that guy, man. Man. Bad stuff came about Russell Simmons, too, lately. I don't know about it. Apparently, ah, eh, that's all other. Yeah, that's yeah. another rabbit trail. We'll push to conclude, because uh, we're at a you know late point. Uh, in this podcast and for y'all who are listening we appreciate y'all continuing we do. to, to we... listen and rock with us and engage on social media and leave us voicemails that's love thank you um as we push to <laughs> thank conclude you. thank you <laughs> <laughs> as we push to conclude album two um i do think that it's worth talking about this uh, fresh festival uh so this guy yeah. Cedric walker is you know another hustler um entrepreneur sees this huge opportunity uh, in rap records because of the success of Run DMC's album. And he goes to Sugar Hill Records um, and talks to the Robinsons, and the Robinsons shut it down. They just ain't on it. Dumb. The Robinsons keep fucking up. Golly. (laughs) Pride comes before the fall, man. Don't they? uh, Isn't that so true? They're, like, so gassed, man. Come on. What The Fat Boys. Yeah. So they went to, and they were like, hey, we want to put the fat boys on. And they're like, yeah, uh, we might not be able to do that. Dude straight up lied and was like, because they might be going on the Michael Jackson icon tour. <laughs> I'm just an icon living. 
<laughs> so, uh, which is a bullshit lie. For sure. Michael Jackson's people got a hold of this and like confront the dude, he's and he's just laughing. Here, but ends up getting fat boys more money. And then uh, it was a great tactic. I mean, super it was good lying tactic. and deceitful. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of that in For the sure. music industry. For sure. But um, yeah, the Fat Boys also they're they're probably the corniest hip hop group. I just that like I a, love. I a, I like, like a like a record cover. There's like an album cover in my mind of the Fat Boys. Maybe which one, one is, is it? Wearing a yellow T-shirt or something like that. No, they had they always wore those like yellow jackets okay. with the I Fat Boys reading. emblem yeah, yeah, yeah. on it. But um, I I always really love that. And it's the corniest song ever. But that all you can eat eat eat. I love the Fat Boys, man. I don't know that joint. Where did the Fat Boys? Where the fat boys? That's where beatboxing came from too. Oh, and they like recorded. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is the and and maybe you can help me with this because I want to you know maybe push us to a conclusion on this fresh festival. They got the corporate sponsor from the watch company. So, yeah, um, it was Swatch. Swatch. And so, where can you help me find that in here where they talk about the full title of the fresh festival because. Walker goes to the Robinsons and he's trying to pitch him this festival. It's a national a national tour because he sees all the money in it. And the Robinsons kill him and say, we don't need your promo. You're a cornball. You don't bring nothing to us. And so they got him out of here. And so he went to Russell Simmons. Um, and, oh, I thought this was just brilliant. They're at the bottom of 110. Uh, Cedric Walker was intrigued by the notion that, quote, rapping – was part of an oral tradition that went all the way back to Africa when griots would tell long stories and rhyme. He connected breakdancing to other African-derived forms of dance like Brazilian capoeira. Yeah. Uh, when he finished his investigation, Walker concocted a master plan to bring all of this stuff, the best rap groups, the best dance crews together in one place. It would be a national stadium tour with multiple stages to keep the show going, almost like P.T. Barnum and Bailey's Three Ring Circus, to make this fresh festival happen he would need a partner with the most successful rap label sugar hill they shot him down he went to russell simmons russell simmons was just trying to get paid a thousand dollars a week off and then of he these found acts. out how to do it he had an opportunity day. to get a thousand dollars a day and then cedric walker in all of his uh pt barnum-esque-ness hustled up a sponsorship a corporate sponsorship with who was the sponsor uh swatch swatch watch but they initially were going for thousand dollars. They almost puked when they got that. Yeah, yeah. Thousand dollars for this sponsorship. Yeah, that's on one thirteen. Uh, Bottom that? of one thirteen. Yes, yes, yes. So Walker started hyperventilating. Three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And what is amazing is that they got uh, the sponsorship on board. Because they were able to school them on how black youth historically set the fashion trends for mainstream America. It's true. That's awesome, bro. Still to this day. For sure. So just the you know, the vision, the connectedness saying, look, this is still kind of a street thing, it's still kind of a subculture thing, but we can go to Europe and hustle up a huge sponsorship and they didn't say, Hey, you need to sponsor this tour for a hundred thousand dollars for fifty thousand dollars for twenty thousand dollars he gave him the vision and swatch bought in 
at $350,000, and I'm trying to find the, the formal title of the festival. Mm. It's like Swatch, Watch, Presents. That's a look. Watch, watch presents the New York. On the phone with Andrew Walker, did a Stetler bait him? Within a few weeks, he was signing a deal with Swatch while sitting on crates in the company's as yet unpacked New York offices. Suddenly, Walker saw Stetler for what he really was a modern PT Barnum. English may have seen the resemblance to perhaps popular lifestyle quest on four video music wise this goes on the MTV and shit oh the Swatch Watch New York City Fresh Fest yeah, where's that at 115 very very last sentence thank you thank you Casmo for finding it so they they so uh, who's the fella so um, Stetler. Okay, so Cedric Walker and Russell Simmons, uh, this combination of kind of this peculiar outsider mentality who sees rap and hip hop culture as something that is connected to a tradition and a history and obviously has this huge marketing appeal, uh, pitches to Swatch Watch. They get on board for a national tour, even though I think they were in Germany or they were in Europe somewhere. Um, and what's brought to us, as you said, at the bottom of page 115 is Run DMC headlining the first national rap tour in the fall of 1984 entitled the Swatch Watch New York City Fresh Fest. That's still a tight name. That is an awesome name. The coming together of all of those worlds and business interests and art and culture, um, again, in a relatively short amount of time because this is only 1984. Uh, and just the, the business acumen and intelligence, not only of Russell Simmons, but I got mad love for him after reading this stuff. It's just incredible to see oh. the skill set, the, the hustle of this guy. Uh, but then also all sort of other people. Uh, who are much less known compared to a Russell Simmons that took advantage of the time and the place and their skill set and got involved and made uh, what is obviously you know hip hop culture and rap music nowadays into something that no one could have ever imagined or maybe only a few people could have imagined and they worked hard to make happen. The only people that could have made it happen made it happen. And so uh, Part B concludes. Uh, with the demise of the Robinsons, Joe and Sylvia Robinson, full circle, um, Sugar Hill Records ends up in the same place as the previous record label, uh, Garbage. They're super grimy. Uh, how, do you, how do you end up feeling for the Robinsons? Do you feel sorry for them? No. Yeah? No way, man. There's a little part of me that does. Why? Uh, just because they're how defeated they were mm. you know it was like they made countless dumb mistakes but i yeah i mean that's word i just it feels like so like you didn't learn anything from your first right up collapse. yeah i mean and not only you didn't learn anything but like you treated people poorly they did treat people the poorly. second time over the people that made you rich 
like $2,000. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel bad for him in any real sense. It's more like just like, yeah, you know, I mean, you pity the fool. Yeah. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. I should trademark that. Mm, that's clever. It's got a zing <laughs> to it. Let's talk business after this. I'll try and get you a sponsorship <laughs> for that trademark. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Cast One, I love chopping it up with you. Always. I appreciate the conversation. I, I will not. I, I'm in a comfortable spot now. So, same bat time, yeah. same bat channel. Again, congratulations on the job. Thank you. That's a big deal. Thank you. Uh, Cast One is taking me out for a drink right now, so we're going to catch y'all next week. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the Read a Book Podcast. Bow. Peace.